Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh my God, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Gold Mines, where we do what? Hmm? I shouldn't have to ask. I should not have to ask because by this time, you should know what we do. We get inside the minds of amazing comedians, and oh my God, what amazing minds they are. There's no mind. Like the mind of a comedian. You're going to get my mind? That's right. I'm getting your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Ray Romano. How you doing, man? I'm all right, man. How are you? I am good. I am good. Do pleasure to talk to you. Um, I got to start off by saying I'm a fan. I have been a fan. And I've run into you a couple times. I've never really been able to sit down and talk and like really, really chop it up with you. But I've met you in new york uh and you know we shook hands and it was quick it was like a, a hey man how you doing type of thing yeah. this is years ago but you know i i've seen just your your rise and your success and you know i'm in awe of anybody that that achieves the unachievable in this craft of comedy man so i just want to start off by just giving you your flowers and just saying like dude it's, it's dope to finally talk to well, you too. Whatever you just said to me, same to you, man. Where, where did we meet? Do you remember? I don't. I it was in New York, cellar. You were at was the, it cellar. the cellar. Yeah. Yes, you were at the cellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like a quick. It was like a quick thing. It was like, hi, how you doing, man? I was younger, so I was timid. I was very. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't as confident as I am now to say, how you doing, man? I'm Kevin Hart, and shake your hand. It was. Yeah. How you doing? Oh my God, man. Good to meet you. It was quick. Yeah. Very, very quick. Where are you at now? Where do you stay? I'm in L.A. I live in L.A. in the Valley. In the Valley? Yeah. You heard how loud my house was before we started. And I told you I got four kids. You come from a big household as well. Uh, how many kids do you have, Ray? I got four, but I have twins. So I got three three tries, <laughs> three tries, four kids. Yeah. Have, three tries. Yeah. I have a girl and three boys. Yeah. Twin, identical twin. Three tries. Yes. I'm one over, I'm one over par. <laughs> you know, what I admired uh, about you the most, man, is, you know, in, um, in stand-up, man, you really, you really embrace the household. You really embrace the world of being a father. And, you know, uh, I, too, am a comic that dove into the side of family, just within my material, just talking about marriage, the kids, et cetera. And I found happiness in that because, you know, it was almost like, shining a light on this world that I felt nobody else uh, could quite could quite understand unless I gave them my take on it, my POV. Because I know there's a lot of dads, there's a lot of dads that are that are dealing with their kids. But I was like, if I tell them the shit that I'm dealing with, I'm bring some positive light to these fathers and give them some things to laugh at that they probably don't think to laugh at. You, sir, you've done that. You've you've done that for years. Um, your style of comedy, where where did you get it from, Ray? Was it was it something that you just kind of you you stepped into and and kind of shaped and molded and figured out as you went on, or was it always a, a conscious effort for you to kind of talk about uh, the world of marriage and fatherhood? Um, I, I didn't make an, an effort to pick what I wanted to talk about. You know, I just, I mean, when I started stand-up, I wasn't married. I wasn't, I didn't even, you know, I, I hadn't even met my wife yet when I started stand-up. Mm -hmm. But I just found myself writing about, uh, you know, my observations on, on what I was going through in life. 
I want, you know, so you know how it is. Some guys are topical. Some guys are characters. Some guys are political. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm like you. I write about what I experience. Mm -hmm. And I, and so then I wrote about being, I wrote about being in an Italian family. I wrote about uh, dating. I, uh, um, I wrote about being a neurotic, being a, a hypochondriac. And then I got engaged and I wrote about that. And then my career, stand-up career, didn't really start rising as, uh, until I did have a, a wife and kids, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I did, uh, I did Carson. My 30-year anniversary was last week uh, of the time I did Carson. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. No, Congratulations, man. On November 15th, two weeks ago, uh, 1991. Uh, and my daughter was one year old, you know, and, and that's what I was doing that. I was talking about being a, being a new father and being this. I didn't make a conscious effort. I just, that's what I wrote. You know, it's like, I, I don't think you sit down and say, okay, let me write about uh, this now. Let me write about that. You write what, what hits you and what strikes you as funny and what you come up with. Um, yeah. And who, you know, uh, if I'm being honest, Cosby was my first album that I had. Cosby was the first uh, comedy album I listened to. And, you know, uh, he, his, his, that style of comedy is what appealed to me. And I, I, I like all of it. I like all the comedy. But, but I, I was drawn into that, that kind of storytelling, you know? You know what's crazy? You're... you're... And I and I see it. I see it in your like in your style. I can I can tell. You know, you can just tell who a comic was influenced by, or or you know, uh, who a comic has a liking for, towards, etc. And right. I can see it. Right. I too, right. you know, uh, of course, the, the regardless of the personal choices that this person has made, you right. know, I'm a I'm a Cosby craft yeah. uh, fan, right? Within the world of comedy. Uh, his style, uh, his method, the way that he approached it um, was dope as hell. And I, you know, I tried to edgy mine up a little bit and have like a, a sense of rawness to it. Um, and I think that's probably where the, the Eddie influence came in as well, because, you know, Eddie was a storyteller too. So I gravitated toward those, yeah. um, those comics that told stories, the comics that, that, that really flourished yeah. in, in just talking about their real, their, their now, their uh, environment, uh, good or bad. They just didn't run away from it. Right. Um, that's what I always gravitated towards. That's the type of comic that I was. Let's go back to your early days, man, because you, you just started talking he was like in the in the beginning you know so before you had the success uh when did things start to heat up a little bit because you say after you got engaged you know your material of course changed and that's when the opportunities came could you feel could you feel a progression at uh at a certain point in your career before you got engaged like as a comic um, when you started to develop more well i, I felt I felt I was be becoming stronger on stage, you know? I felt a little more confident. The career reached a point where I was, you know, a regular at all the clubs in the city, in New York. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys went on the road a lot. I kind of didn't go on the road as much. I, I, I went once a month, twice a month, and then I stayed in the city and made all, you know, I would do you know, five spots on Friday, seven spots on Saturday, and just make money in the city. And that, you know, and then, and then, and at that point, there were a lot of stand-up shows uh, on TV. That's when that was starting, you know. That's when that was the big time. MTV, VH1, yeah, all that. Mm -hmm. And so I started getting picked to do all those. My act was getting stronger. Um, I don't, I don't know that I was becoming bigger nationally or anything i don't i wasn't i know i wasn't um uh like i say in 91 i got i got the tonight show but in 91 this was this is four or five months before he retired johnny it it was still the plateau for a comedian it was still the the mountaintop but it wasn't like it was in the 70s or 80s you know in the 70s or 80s he did the tonight show and your your career your life changed the next day you know your career <clears throat> um this was a great achievement but it didn't really change my life um it, it gave you more credibility and all that um if i'm picking the one i don't know if you want to go this if i'm jumping ahead of what you wanted to talk about but the moment that changed my 
uh, I don't want to, you know, saying change my life is a little bit uh, uh, too grand, but was, was Letterman. It was when I did Letterman because, yeah, because Letterman was, um, I had been doing a, a stand-up for 11 years when I got Letterman. So um, I had already done every, you know, I did the Tonight Show with Leno. I did, I did all the shows. I did all the stand-up shows. And that's when they were giving out um, development deals to a lot of guys. You know, I mean, there were already guys that already made it. Tim Allen, Roseanne, they had already gotten it. And a lot of guys were just getting development deals. And I, at that point, had been on pretty much everything. And no one was, was knocking on my door, really, for a development deal of any kind. And it's not like I wanted to, I had to get on TV. I had to have a development deal. I had to have a sitcom. That wasn't my goal in stand-up. My, the goal in stand-up was to be a stand-up. I mean, um, I love being a stand-up. But I just thought at that point, 11 years in, if it doesn't happen, you know, I, maybe this isn't going to happen. I was 30, well, I was 36 years old at that point. Oh, wow. And I thought, you know, it's, I, I love doing stand-up. If, if the next step doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, it doesn't happen? And was the mindset to walk away? If it doesn't happen, when you say that? No, no, not okay. from stand-up. Okay. Not from stand-up. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. No, but what happened was, uh, actually, I'm jumping one thing. Um, I got cast in news radio. You know, I don't know if you remember news radio. It was Joe Rogan. He, yes. He, had a, he was on a sitcom with uh, Phil Hartman, and, and, and I got cast on it. I went to a, I went, one guy saw, he saw my HBO special and he had me come in and read and I wasn't that good then at going in for reads I was pretty bad but somehow I got lucky and that one clicked and he flipped the guy it was Paul Sims was the creator of news radio and he said you're it you're 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 my guy and flew me to LA we went up in front of the studio and I could feel the second time I read in front of the studio it wasn't that as good, but the guy loved it. But, but Sims had loved me so much from the audition that he pushed it through. And so I'm on, I'm, I'm on this cast. I'm on the, and you know, you know the show is going to go because it's, it's Phil Hartman, Andy Dick. Uh, 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 it's on NBC. James, uh, Jim Burroughs is directing it. You knew it was a go. And now I'm on this show. I'm on, I'm on, I'm one of the cast members. I'm, uh, uh, and, you know, my wife and I are freaking out. I'm going to make $8,000 a week, you know. Yeah. And she's in L.A. with, I mean, she's in New York with the, you know, three, I have twins and a, and a daughter. She's got the three little kids. And now I'm out there. It's, I remember it's December. And it's uh, table read. And the table read, I don't, I, you know, <laughs> the, the, the audition was, was a 10 out of a 10. The reading for the studio was a seven out of 10 and the table read was like a five out of 10, you know? Yeah. And, but still they're just saying, no, no, no. I, I know Paul Sims was so into me that he was like telling everybody it's fine. And then the first day of rehearsal, I mean, if I'm being truly honest, I could feel I wasn't, I wasn't oh, ready, wow. you know? I, and, and I was pushing and everything and, uh, you know, I was coming up, there was a little bit of improv going on. I was coming up with some stuff. But if if you put a gun to my head, I would say, I'm not I'm not ready for this. I'm not the guy. And the next morning, you got I got call. fired. You got, got the fired. call. Oh. I got the call. And it was just that call. It was, it was I, I had to be on the set at like 8. And at 6.30 in the morning, the, in the hotel room, the phone rings. And it's my manager. And, you know, you pick up the phone and it's 6.30. It's your manager. You know, he he's not he's not telling you, hey, you did great yesterday. He's telling you the news, and the news was the cliche. They're they're going in uh. another direction, and uh, and the other direction was Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan oh. took my place. Uh, yeah, so that was a blow, you know, and uh, it was a relief. It, 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 deep down, it was a relief because I knew I was in over my head, um, and it was about five months later that I did Letterman. 
And Letterman led to Everybody Loves Raymond. Letterman produced Everybody Loves Raymond. Wait a minute. You know? So yeah. get out of here. I did not know that. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Worldwide Pants. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. You going on Letterman, performing in Letterman, and he saw the set? Fell in love I did with the Letter- set? Yeah. I, I did Letterman, and, 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 and you know, it was, it, it was a really good spot. Uh, uh, um, you know, my Carson spot was like a, I like to I like to work in numbers. It was like an eight out of ten. Letterman was like a nine and a half out of ten. You know. I love that and, you're uh, very specific with your numbers. It's it's such a good rating <laughs> system. It was yeah. you're thinking about it. Eight out of ten for sure, Carson. I'm OCD and anal, so I like the numbers. <laughs> um, but uh, the following week, I did Letterman, and then I thought to myself, well, now I've done it. You know, I've done everything. This was my first Letterman, and if anybody's interested, you know, I don't know what else I can do. And Letterman was the only one interested. They called on, on a Saturday afternoon. This is true. I was in Queens at my, uh, my house in Queens with my wife and, and, uh, she's, and Rob Burnett, Rob Burnett, who was uh, running Letterman and called mm-hmm. himself and said, Hey, uh, Dave really loved it. He, he goes, we're interested in signing it to a deal. So don't, you know, if anybody else comes around asking, just hold off. And I, and I told him, nobody's coming around, man. You're it. And I saw what honesty. What 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 negotiating tech right there, right? <laughs> Nobody else. Don't worry about that. Nobody else is knocking on my door. It's funny you, you say that. Me. It's funny because uh I I I, I want to jump ahead, but just while we're on that subject, I was on the show Parenthood, you know? And mm-hmm. and the way I got on Parenthood was I knew the showrunner, and it was year three of Parenthood, and I and this was my show just got canceled, Men of a Certain Age. I did a show called Men of a Certain Age that I created. And that was two years and out. So uh, I actually loved, uh, like Parenthood. So I called him up and I said, congratulations on the finale. I go, listen, if I'm unemployed now and I will work. And he said, we can't afford you. And I go, let me tell you something. Whatever my agent tells you I cost, don't listen to it. I, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing this for the money. And about three days later, my agent called me and said, did you tell Jason Kadams you would work for any amount of money? I go, yes, I did. <laughs> and, and, Holy uh, shit. and they hired, yeah, and I was on Parenthood for, for it, it's a funny story because it was the same amount of money that I was going to get on news radio. So I came full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Uh, and and why, why was that when you said it's not for the money? What what was the the reason for that? I mean, that was when I had so I had done nine years of of Raymond. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved it, and it's it's my sitcom legacy, and I'm proud of it. But I will I I was moving on now, and I was trying to trying to dip my toe in the in the in the drama area, you know, and 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 it's very hard for people to see you that way when they see you for nine years as as the sitcom boy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so first I created my own show with Mike Royce. Me and, me and him created this show called Men of a Certain Age. And that was on for two years at TNT. And it was a drama D, one hour. And it was, I, we, <clears throat> it was well received, but it, nobody was watching it. I remember, I remember the show. I remember the show because it was like after, it was like after you came back with another show and it was like, okay, that's pretty damn dope. Like you went and created something else. It was like, I, I remember men of a certain age. I damn sure do remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, good, thank you. But it was, yeah, we won a Peabody Award and then we got canceled. If you win the Peabody Award, it means uh, they like you, but nobody's watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, so we got canceled. And then and then I, I, I you know, I, I did like enjoy watching Parenthood and I, I knew the guy, Jason Kadams, and at that point, you know, I'm going to be honest, financial, I wasn't making financial decisions at that time. I, I, I was lucky that I didn't have to. I just said, boy, I'd love to get involved in, in that, you know. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. 
Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. I love that you said, you know, your sitcom legacy, right? It's funny that you said that because that's where I was going next. You know, you're attached to one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. You talk about a nine-year run. Um, you know, when this happens, right, the beginning stages of sitcom, I mean, the fact that Letterman produced it, I did not know that. Um, he, he's, and, you know, Letterman is a guy that, you know, people said back then wasn't like the nicest or, or, or most pleasant to comics. So for Letterman to see you be a fan, et cetera, uh, attach himself, develop this thing, you get picked up, right? Give me your mindset then. Like now, you know, the guy that didn't go on the road, the guy that stayed true to the spots in the city, all of a sudden you got a sitcom that's picked up. This is the comic's dream. You're in a prime time state of stand-up comedy where this was the goal. It was all about the TV show. It wasn't about the movies. It wasn't about being the movie star. For comedians, the, the segue to success was your material somehow being a representation of what your TV show could be. And you had that. You were that. And it just happened. So what's your mind at that point? I mean, first of all, I was scared out of my mind about act, the acting part of it. Um, but And yes, it was, it was based on my life, the show. So, so that was the, the good thing is that it was if it didn't feel organic acting, I was going to make it. We were going to rewrite it. We were going to, I didn't have to do somebody else's words, you know? I mean, I mean, yes, I did Phil Rosenthal mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. who ran the show. I mean, we collaborated together, but, but it was for me. So I could have that say, but there was still no guarantee of anything. Um, I had to go out to LA, leave my family there. And for the first year, um, it was a whirlwind of of not really believing, first of all, that it's going to stick around. Because the first thing we were on Friday night when nobody watched sitcoms, and we were in like 110th place. Uh, um, so we we didn't even really. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And and what happened was no, and also nobody knew the show. So the audience that they would bring in were. And this is not a joke. It's going to sound like a joke, but they would get them from uh, senior citizen homes, uh, rehab centers, and and prison is mm-hmm. what I heard. Like, and they would they would there you go. Yeah, yeah. They would bless them That's in. a good crowd. And uh, and nobody knew the characters. You know, the first we weren't on the air. We had to, we had to film like six, five or six episodes before we even aired. So these people coming in to watch are seeing, you know, my mother walk in the room and, you know, we were writing jokes based on character. We were trying not to write joke jokes and nobody knows this character yet. Nobody knows that she's the overbearing, pushy mother who's going to say something uh, insulting to the wife, you know? Um, so they, you know, the, the shows, we just had to trust that they were funny and um, it was not easy. You know, the confidence level was, was not crazy, but I do remember there was an episode. It was about the fourth or fifth episode, and I just remember feeling it all kind of click. And and I do remember a moment where I thought to myself, something could be happening here. Something might be happening, you know. Um, <clears throat> and um, I mm-hmm. was saying I I got a, a room in a. a an apartment and Peter Boyle was renting also. He's a New Yorker. And I remember on day one, I, you know, I was this, this Peter Boyle, you know, a, a movie star. Big deal. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, he doesn't know who I am and everything's revolving around this guy's story. And I was scared, you know, and, and I remember day one of rehearsal, um, 
we hadn't said anything to each other. And in between scenes, we were passing each other. And he just stopped me and said, uh, it's just like water, just let it flow. And then he just kept going. And I have no idea what it meant. I knew it was some actory thing. But it made but, you feel better. But yes, just it made because you feel better. He, made, he took that time to, to, to try to calm me down. You know, I, I always remember that. Um, and we became best. We became really good friends, me and him. Well, you're talking about you're talking about a show, like I said, once again, it went nine season. And, you know, for all of my uh, listeners that aren't familiar, I mean, Ray Romano's TV show was was unreal. Right. I mean, from the cast, from the comedy. I mean, you're talking about some of the best TV writing to ever be done. Um, you develop a relationship with the cast. Right. Um over the years, as a comedian, did you stay true to your comedic roots, or did you find yourself kind of backing away from comedy as the show was gaining more success? Uh, no, no, we did. I did comedy all the time um, uh, during hiatus. Uh, and one one year we did a, a tour and uh, and we filmed it, and it was a documentary called Ninety Five Miles to Go. One of the writers was my friend. Tom Caltabiano, and he was a big into into photography and all that. And he would open up for me. He, we, I met him through stand-up. And so during a hiatus, we were just going to do a little tour through the South and drive from Florida up. And um, he said, "Let's film it." And I didn't. I didn't really want to. And that's kind of that's that's kind of the, the documentary is. Uh, it's against my will uh, that he's filming it. Um, and it was on HBO, right? Actually, it was on HBO for like 10 minutes, 95 miles to go. Yeah. Um, but I never, no, I never gave up. I never, I still, I never will give it up, stand up. I, yeah. I go, you know, that's the, the seller. You mentioned the seller. Whenever I'm new, in New York, without a doubt, I'm going to the seller, you know, and, and doing spots. Funny thing is, I'm, I, are you in LA? Are you, are you, I'm in LA. I, I've been I'm in LA. LA for 20 some odd years and I, and I don't go to the clubs here. I can't figure out why I don't just suck it up and go to the clubs. I don't know. You don't like, you don't like the scene or you just no, don't? No, I don't even, I don't know the scene. You know, I've been, of course I've been there throughout my years. I've been there and on, but I, I just feel like I'm, when I'm not in New York, I, I don't know. I don't feel like, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I really, but I really want to get back in there and get off because I can't just wait till I go to New York every time. I can tell you this. I can tell you that it's not New York. Yeah. I can tell you that there's no place like New York. The energy that surrounds New York uh, in comedy is just, it's insane. Yeah. You know, there's no place like it at all. Um, LA is just different. You know, it's a little more laid yeah. back. Um, and the setting, for me, the setting is different because you know, it's not as consistent, right? Like, and, yeah. and, and I feel like the comedians um, just have a different approach. Like, it's always about tonight could be the night to be discovered. And there is no, like, yeah. the work side of it, the really beating up the material, the working on the jokes right. and the new set and prep, you know, like every, I feel like um, every time I'm, I'm on the scene or have been on the scene, those younger comics is just, it's a different energy, but it's one of, once again, like who's out there, right. this could be the night I get discovered. Like there, there's that attachment to it. I mean, I've been working on, I'm working on a new hour now. So, you know, I've been, I've been going out, but I just, Where's your room? Uh, I go, I go to the Ha Ha, I go to the comedy store, I go to the improv, I go to the Laugh Factory. I've been going to this place called the Chateau. Where's the Ha Ha? The Ha Ha is in the valley, it's off of Lancashire. Oh yeah, yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. yeah. The Ha Ha isn't bad. It's a good room, um, yeah. It's a good room. You know where else I go? I go Flappers in Burbank. I've been on Flappers one time. Great crowds, great, great intimate comedy club. You know, I like the intimate spots. I like the spots that, that are really closed in, crammed up where I can see the actual people, you know? I want to yeah. see all the faces if I can. Um, I like Flappers because I had one joke about it. I go, Flappers, <laughs> it's a stupid joke. I go, Flappers is a place where uh, women go to work if they're too old for hooters. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. <laughs> I get it just because I've seen the staff. I get exactly what you're saying. <laughs> so you don't go up at all in LA? You don't go up at all? Uh, very. I mean, the last time I went up, 
I was, I did the, the big Kumail Nanjiani, uh, we did the big sick together, the movie, and um, he, he dragged, he didn't drag me on, but he, he gave me the guy at the comedy store's number who's not there anymore, right? There was a guy uh, okay. who books it now, who's not booking it now, I forget who, now it's a, a woman who books it, right? So I called up and, and the guy said, come in anytime, and I went in and it did about two spots, and that was about three years ago. Uh, um, where do you go in New York? New York, I'm everywhere. New York. I mean, I, I mainly like that the seller's new setup now. You know, the seller, the seller has yeah, yeah. the seller, and then right around the corner, there's the other yeah. two spots, the underground and the yeah. other spot above it. So, you know, I can go yeah. there and just do three, three every night. And, and I know, be good. I know. You know, I don't have to leave from down there. I know. Uh, and then you have to sit down. And New York is good just because of the the opportunity to sit down at that table and hang out, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. that's the most important part. Without the hanging out, we got nothing. I love the hanging out. I, I miss the hanging out. That's a that's also another thing that I miss. Um, you know when I'm here in LA. But like once again, it's a different scene, and I think the comics that um, have started here that are here thrive off of the environment here. Like it's different for them. Right. But right, if you right. come if you come from the East Coast, you come out here. There's a dramatic difference. There's just a it's yeah. just a drop off in energy. Um, the most. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe 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 that's that's what's holding me back. I don't know. But I I got to get out there because especially now, you know, I just. I just did a movie. I just I just wrote and directed a movie. Oh wow! And and it we picture locked, and we're almost coming to the end of this whole uh, this thing, this journey that took like five years, and it's almost coming to an end, and it scares me, you know, because I'm like, I'm I, that's that's how I work. Where if I have nothing on the landscape, it's it's bad news for me, you know. Okay. Yeah. When you say I, when you say it's bad news, you also mentioned that you have an OCD. Uh, you said anxiety, stuff like that. Is there is there a fear of what? Like, is not working? Do you do? You, does it have a different definition for you? If you're not working, if you're not doing something, does it fuck with you? Yeah, I I think I'm neurotic and and anxious when I'm working and when and when I'm not working. But I think it's worse if I'm not working. I think the way I the way I phrase it is. Uh, I got to keep moving or I catch up to myself. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I actually yeah, understand uh, what you're saying though. Yeah. I understand busy, what you're saying. And creative, you know, it's not just work for the sake of work. I mean, it's the creative side of it though, too. You know, uh, uh, um, that's why stand up will never go away for me because um, you can't, you can't get more of your creative juices going than that, than with stand up, you know. But directing is pretty uh, creative as well. If you if you bite that directing, that directing stuff. Oh, you know. Have you done it? Uh I have, have I have, but I I like I'll say I co-directed, right? Like I did yeah, I did yeah, an episode yeah. of uh of my TV show, Real Husbands of Hollywood, that I directed, but I, I had to share the editing experience because I didn't have time. Um, right. it's a lot, you know, right. you're, you have to answer every question. I know, man, it's crazy. That's a different hat to put on. So when you're talking about creative, I mean, goodness. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it was the most nerve wracking thing for me because uh, I'd never done it. I'd never done it. All my TV and my episode, I never directed one episode. What made you want to do it? Well, I wrote the script. I wrote the script and I didn't want to do it. Uh, but it was a per, you know, it's a kind of semi by autobiographic not really but inspired by stuff in my real life um and when it came time to do it my agent said why don't you direct it and i and i immediately said no 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 first of all i know nothing about cameras i don't know lenses from anything you know i mean i know about i i know about the uh the performance i want to get that, that that i'll that i know um but i would really have zero input into the camera work you know except what i know what what i want it to look like and um i just uh i just felt someone else could do a better job but he kind of convinced me that it's too personal a story uh you know you surround yourself with good people you surround yourself with a great cinematographer and a gr great ad and you know i i took care of the performance and i had a great 
cinematographer who really took care of uh, the look of it. And, and but but I got to tell you, I swear, leading up, we went to we went to New York February for for prep, and it was going to start filming in April. And first, the first week of when I got there in February, I called up my agent and said, can't do it. Cannot do this. <laughs> I, I had to Why? go for a stress test. I seriously, I had to go for a stress. I had to go for the treadmill and everything, man. I was, I was just, it was just too much for me to think Why? Was it, was it because of all the answers yeah. that you had to have? Everything that you had to be? Well, that I knew was coming. Everything I knew that was coming. Okay. Yes. Okay. Everything I knew that I was diving into this unknown, uh, you know, camera shots, actors, directing, directing actors. Lori Metcalf played, played my wife, you know? I gotta tell her what to, you know, how, what if I don't phrase it right? What if I, you know, actors, you know, you gotta, you gotta, when you gotta tell them they're doing it wrong, you gotta tell them they're doing it right first, you know? And then ease, yeah. ease into it. <laughs> Yeah, it's all all you're doing is dealing with personalities all day as a director. Yeah. And that's from the top to the bottom. You know, you you're you're managing personalities. Before you go and and have the conversation about getting what you want, you gotta make sure that you make them feel comfortable enough about what they're doing. Right. Hey man, right. you're doing a good job. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I just want to say we appreciate you. Right. Hey, to set would not be the same without your hard work. Yeah. Now, with that being said, yeah. is there any way that I can get you to yes. you know what I mean? Like you gotta you have to play that yin yin yang game. Yeah. Absolutely. And having said that, they they were all great. Yeah. Sebastian, Sebastian was in it. Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah. And Eric Griffin, you know, Eric Griffin. Yes, I do yeah, know. Eric yeah. Griffin. He, he did, he did a little spot for us too. I love Sebastian, man. Yeah. He was great. Sebastian did his podcast as well. Sebastian's a talented guy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very talented guy. He was good. Man. He wasn't funny. He played a, he played a straight, he played my younger uh, kind of obnoxious brother and he was very good. Yeah. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Where is your mindset at now? What, is, what does Ray Romano want to do now? Right? Like you're talking to me about directing and you're saying that. Yeah, that's just it. That, that's what I'm talking about. That's the scary part is, is when, you know, we still got a lot of work to do on this, but when this, I see the finish line now. And um, that's a scary thing. I mean, do I write another script? Do I, this thing took six years to write. I'm not going to do that. How, how freaking old can you be in this business? I mean, you know? um, uh, but stand-up is the one thing that doesn't go away, you know? Um, thank God, you know, when I go on at the cellar, I can, they still want to hear what I have to say, mm -hmm. you know? For some comics, you know, let's be honest. Some comics hold up as they get older. Yeah. And some of them don't. Yeah. Some of them don't. Yeah. And I don't, so far, I, I hope I'm not uh, uh, blind to it. You know, I hope I, ho I hope I know when I've overstayed my welcome as a as a stand up. You know. I don't think I don't think there is an overstay your welcome. I think like you know even if you just in the audience. Yeah. Thing. Like even if you you lose. Yeah what what you feel is your step there's a way for you to get back a comfortable step for you right like i yeah. mean ultimately yeah. the craft the audience gets to laugh at what we're presenting but what we're presenting is is more of an expression of self so you know as long as you're enjoying the yeah. world of expressing yourself and putting your truth out there whether well, people have the choice to gravitate towards it or not um i i think that there's still yeah. joy that can be found in just doing the craft regardless of age you know um if i am doing it yeah I, I, let's just say if i am i'm definitely going to be the old guy uh telling those long stories yeah. sitting on the stool i yeah. i know i am and if they're with me great if they're not i know that you you yeah. at least listen yeah yeah, you still get the you still get the the high from from writing new stuff and all, right? You, absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely. I have to, I have to yeah. write, I have to create. 
Uh, that's right. why I got excited when you were talking about, you know, you writing and then directing. Like, that's the next tier of the business. Um, yeah. What about developing a TV show? Have you ever thought about it? Since you come from that space, you had such success in it. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we look, we, we did it. We did it right after Raymond with mm-hmm. Men of a Certain Age. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's it's a ton of work, man. You know. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a ton of work to to write a new episode every week. You know. I mean, the the movie thing is crazy. The amount of work, but you're concentrating on just getting this right. Where with the TV show, you've got to concentrate everything on getting this right, and then boom, cut, wrap. Now you've got to get the next one. You know what I mean? You're you're making a I mean, if it's a single camera, you're making a little film every week. And um, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm down for that right now. You know, I, I, I would entertain doing another film, but I okay. and, and directing it. But I wouldn't direct like someone asked me. I'm on a show now on HBO Max called Made for Love. I'm, I'm, I'm playing a part. And they offered for me to direct an episode. And, and it doesn't interest me because. It's somebody else's vision. It's someone else's words. It's someone else's characters they created. You know, so um, if I'm going to do any of that again, if I'm going to direct again, it's going to be something I wrote. But man, you know, have you written scripts? You've written scripts, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know how crazy it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but I just see. I I just think there's a lot of value in Ray Romano producing. Um, or spearheading uh, television, you know. I mean, you know, there. Oh, you mean just like a production company, you know, a production company. Yeah, like Ray Ray Romano attached yeah. to any type of TV is value, especially in in the space of sitcom. I mean, do yeah. you come with with such an abundance of of knowledge and and success in this space? So I I can't see a space where you won't get several opportunities to put together what you feel is a dream cast, a dream uh you know whether it's writers showrunners underneath underneath your your company and develop shows that you want to go yeah. to the to the next level you just i've had a couple of little a, a couple of little offers to do something like that and it just never i don't know man if i gotta because i i I'm, i don't want to you know go in halfway i gotta go in all the way and i just don't know if it was going to be fulfilling for me to to put in all that time and effort for or something that just, you know, I, I get it though. I, I, I get what you're saying though. You know, it, it still can be fun to to not be the guy on screen and not be the guy who wrote it, but the guy who put it together, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you don't you don't have to sit down and do the to do the the writing, you know? Like you can yeah. you can have the other people do the writing for you, especially since you've done the writing. The idea becomes the big part. Yeah. Um and cracking the code on the ideas is where the work can come in. I just think that Ray Romano, once again, that name above or behind any TV show. Uh, has a strong chance at getting seen, getting on air. I mean, you know, you just, once again, you come with credibility. Um, what's your relationship now uh, with with your comedy class? You know, you came up with such a strong class of comedians. Who who are the comedians that were that were with you when you started comedy? Who do you remember being around? Well, I mean, down at the cellar, down in New York, it was Jon Stewart, uh, uh, Chappelle was there, Louis C.K. was there. Dave Attell, you know, uh, um, Brian Regan and I had the same manager for 30, for 30 years. We still do. Wow. Um, uh, Kevin James, of course, you know, Kevin James and I, we did a couple, we did a mm. movie together and we've done a bunch of stuff together. Uh, hmm, who else? Seinfeld was before me, you know, Seinfeld was about five, six years before me. He was, he was, he was even more than that, maybe mm-hmm. seven. He was out there already. But yeah, those were the guys. Do you, are you still in touch? Who, who, are you still in touch or do you still talk to any of those guys? You know, there was a time where Kevin and I were, were super tight. And, and then, you know, life takes over. He's got four kids. He, he lives, I think he lives in Florida now. Uh, but we still talk, you know, he, he's, he's actually doing his own movie now. So we just had a long talk because he wanted to pick my brain about the directing and all. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad yes. Garrett yes. from my show. Yes. Brad you know plays him? poker. 
Brad's a poker guy. Funniest guy ever. Uh, By far. Him and I are, are, are good. If I'm saying, if there's one comic uh, I'm closest with, it's probably Brad Garrett right now. Um, you know, Spade, David Spade and I work the Mirage now. We co-headline, we do, we do like five or six times a year. We do a weekend at the, at, in Vegas. And uh, we got one coming up, actually. It's another very funny guy. Spade yeah, is very yeah. funny, man. Life funny, too. Like like Spade is Spade is yeah. in person funny as well. Yes, yes. But I, I used to do it with Brad. Uh, Brad and I used to you know, do the Mirage, and it would be we had another friend who would open up for us, and then he would do a half hour, and I would do a half hour, and then we'd do a Q and A after. And after about two or three weekends, I just told him we have to flip it. I can't go on after you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen him live? Yes. He, yes. There's Brad no, Garrett is hilarious. Yeah, he's in the audience. He's saying everything he shouldn't say. It's hysterical, you know. He's strong. Yeah, yeah. Brad. Yeah. Energy's different. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot. So it's I told a lot. Him, I said it's a better show. Let me go on, and he did. He flipped it. He, he was, and now he has a club. He owns a club in uh, in Vegas. Oh, get out of here! I didn't yeah. know that. And it just what club. It was called. It was Brad Garrett's Comedy Club at the MGM, and then. COVID and all, and it went down, and he just opened it again last week. He had a grand opening last week. Yeah. Good for him, man. Yeah, good for yeah. him. No, he's the good. Well, I can tell you what, Ray, man. It's 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 good to hear you just a talk about the business, talk about you still having ambition and wants, and still having a drive. You know, um, after success, that's what most people lose. People lose the drive. People lose the the energy behind wanting to get up and figure it out. And you seem to still have it. You know, that anxiety, that OCD that you're talking about, well, it seems like a great battery that gets you up and that gets you moving, uh, just so you're not stagnant, man. And there's a point in time where every comedian, well, they wanted the the TV show. They wanted the success behind the, the sitcom. And there's only a few that actually got it. I mean, I can count on, I can probably count on two hands uh, the comedians that actually got it and, and had crazy success doing it. You know, you, Tim Allen, Seinfeld, um, D.L. Hughley, Steve Harvey, uh, Martin Lawrence. The list starts to get thin. Damon Wayans. Kevin James, right? You, you like the list is not a strong list. Uh, David Spade had TV success, but it wasn't his show. But he acted as the the comedy relief. But the the comedians that actually did that and that had longevity there, you know, I feel like there should be a Hall of Fame for that group because that group, Roseanne. I'm sorry, let me throw Roseanne in there. I forgot Roseanne, uh, Monique. You know, Thea Vidal. It's it's not a lot. There should be a fucking uh, a hall of fame of the comedians that actually transferred the stage into TV because their material was that vivid. It was that amazing. The pictures they painted could be seen clearly by audiences to the point where it was such an easy decision to make that into a show. Uh, Cosby, same thing. Like these are these are all pioneers that have done it, man. And dude, it's a pleasure to talk to you just because you're in that space. I never really got to talk to you, but Ray, I do believe in giving people their flowers. I do believe in making sure people understand that they they have an impact and have made one. Uh, and you, my friend, have done that. You've done that in a in a major way. So I want to say, dude, don't let this be your last picture that you directed. Yes, it's a bunch of sh fucking work. Yes, it's uh, it it'll drive you crazy. You may be on two more stress tests. Yes, that is a possibility. But it keeps you present, man. And look at the world of producing some TV. Put that name above some stuff, man. You got the eye. There's no reason why you can't. You did it two times, and those things got the air. So, you know, create some shit for this younger generation where they can look at it and possibly have some longevity, too. You're a fucking rock star, dude. Wow, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Coming from you, man, I, I, I really appreciate this, you know? Because if anybody knows what you're describing, Absolutely. it's you. Absolutely. Yeah. This is why I do it, though. Yeah. I, I do this for that reason at all, man. It's about showing love to the to the other people that are in this fraternity, this frat that we call comedy, man. I love it. Yeah. I live it. And I love that you're still doing it. Uh, you got to get some places in L.A. You just got to go. I know. I know. You got to get up. You got to get out, man. I just, will. Believe just me. go. No Believe reason why. Believe me. I, I'm, I'm going crazy here, not going up. So we will soon. <laughs> and, and, and maybe we'll see each other in New York again. 
for sure. Listen, if you're there, if you're there, I will say, uh, I'm probably, you know what, man, I'm probably going to be there um, for some periods of time in December before Christmas for sure. Yeah, we might go too. I have a place, I have a place there, I have an apartment. So we, you know, my family's and my wife's family are all East Coast. So we go back and forth all the time. Yeah, you'll definitely see me if you are there uh, before the holidays. You'll definitely see me there. I'm going to go and, you go down you know, and sell it? You go down and sell yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. what I'm telling you. You'll see me there. I don't do anything else. I just do that run. Those three rooms. Can I go on before you? As, if, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 you can. Yes, you if can. you notice, I'm a wimp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a smart wimp with yeah, tons yeah. of credibility and success. Ray, thank you so much uh, to my audience. This is Comedy Gold Mines. You know what we do here. We get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. And oh my God, today, what an amazing mind we had. Oh yes, boy. there's a little bit of anxiety in there and a little bit of OCD in there. But all together, it's wrapped up into an amazing individual that understands comedy and that has a love for the craft. And that's what we walk away today knowing. The man still loves the craft. And for that, we love him. Thank you so much, Ryan. All right, man. Thank you. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.